0: to another podcast of Redemption Tempe. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here today. Uh, I'm really excited about this episode. I'm going to let Josh do a little bit more of the unveiling of our special guest, but I am joined by one of our other pastors named Josh. Josh, good to see you, man.
1: Hello. Good to see you as well. Definitely.
0: Yeah, so we are going to continue in the series of Exodus today. Um, But before we do that, Josh, could you tell us a little bit more um, about our guest today and then about where we are in the Exodus series?
1: Definitely. We are stoked to have with us today the one, the only Tim Mackey. Uh, Tim, for those of you who are unfamiliar, is a co-founder of The Bible Project, an amazing resource. We use a number of their videos here. We have over the years. They've been just a tremendous resource for us and our people. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for the work that you're putting in. There, um, and Tim. Also, uh, they they have a podcast, the Bible Project podcast. It is another great, phenomenal resource. Uh, Tim, you've been a teacher at Western Seminary over the years, uh, and not only that, but uh, having lived together in in um, in Portland for years and uh, been been friends and all. You know, like one of the things uh, that you may not know behind the scenes is that Tim is also super humble, fun down-to-earth guy. Tim, you just have an amazing blend of both brilliance and character. And uh, I've learned so much from you over the years. And so just a tremendous thank you for all the work that you guys are doing. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, go look up The Bible Project, guys. Like It is so good. I uh, highly recommend. Uh, but Tim, welcome. Yeah, thank, thank you, guys. Thank
2: you for those kind words. I'm intimidated by myself.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say, Tim, we could, uh, I could probably get you connected with us again after this if you want him to just like go in front of you like when you go to the grocery store yeah, or just right. uh you yeah thank you very much for joining us today yeah, Tim
3: absolutely I'm happy
2: to talk, talk about old testament law this is my idea of a very good time
0: Yes. We're we're looking forward to picking your brain a little bit more uh, to get a little bit more maybe insight here. Before we do that, Josh, could you kind of break down where we are in the Exodus series right now? Yes.
1: So we have been uh, walking through the story of Exodus. And as uh, we've been in the story of Exodus, we've been seeing, you know, God and Moses and the encounter with Pharaoh in Egypt and ultimately God's deliverance of his people from oppression and slavery. And now we've come to Mount Sinai and the giving of the Ten Commandments. And uh, we're heading into a section that uh, is largely has to do with uh, the giving of the law, uh, the, the law. And that's the area that we want to focus on today, uh, how we can approach and best understand the law in the Bible. Uh, Tim, I've learned a ton from you and your thoughts in this area. And so we're really excited to maybe just jump right in. Yeah. Um, how would you say there, there is so far? Uh, within Exodus. It's predominantly been dominated by story, like narrative. So there's a storyline that's happening. And then suddenly we start to get a, a bunch of these laws and that can feel a little bit maybe herky jerky like a jolt. Um uh how would you suggest we understand like these laws fit within the bigger storyline of the Exodus as a whole?
3: Yeah, well
2: um I the first thing just to acknowledge is um total sympathy with anybody who's ever stopped reading the bible <laughs> because they've tried you know it's natural you start a book at page 1 right you know and so uh if you can you know if you've made it through genesis and exodus you get to the laws and then they start coming by the dozens and then the hundreds and just people time out they just and uh it's hard i think the presence of hundreds of ancient laws in the first few books of the Bible is one of the biggest obstacles to actually reading the Bible for a lot of people. I think it's really important to register that. And as much as I really love this material now in the Bible, I still have to muster up some motivation to move towards it. I'm more interested (laughs) naturally in other parts of the Bible. So anyway, I think it's just good to acknowledge that. You guys would probably agree.
1: That's encouraging to hear because, yeah, myself, I imagine many of us, yeah, have to kind of sometimes muster up the energy to, yeah. to dive into yeah. the world. Yeah. Uh,
3: okay.
2: So one, here's just one thing is that, you know, we're uh, modern readers are, are coming at these first few books of the Bible, which is where all, all of the laws in the Old Testament are found in the second through fifth books of the Old Testament. So Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. So that's important. And just that it's not the whole Old Testament, you know, sometimes people imagine the whole Old Testament is, oh, that's the Old Testament. That's God's law. That's when God was into behavior management or something like that, you know? (laughs) And, uh, you know, no, it's actually just books two through five. um, And how the laws appear, when they appear, why they appear, they appear in groups. They don't all come at once. They come in steps throughout a developing storyline. And actually that storyline is crucial for understanding why they're in the story and the role that they play in the story. So that's uh, basically I went before your question that you just asked, Josh. (laughs) uh, uh, But it's important just to say like the Old Testament isn't a bunch of divine laws about how you make god happy before jesus came uh it's way more interesting and sophisticated than that
3: mm, um that's-
2: so maybe okay so let's start here um you w- when you finish uh the story of the exodus and pass through the sea that's all very exciting uh they begin a road trip the israelites begin a road trip and uh that doesn't go very well actually <laughs> and, uh, there's some bumps along the road but they get manna you know and that's cool because mana is awesome and then mm-hmm. um they come to the foot of this mountain and what god doesn't do is start dropping laws on them um what he does in exodus 19 is invite them into a covenant relationship like a marriage a marriage between a god and a group of people which um is, has, uh, virtually no precedent in the ancient world. Um, mm-hmm. these types of covenants were very common between Kings and other Kings,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, between people groups and people groups, but between a God and a people group, um, it's as is, is crazy as, um, we would think of like a person getting married to a cat.
0: <laughs> which actually <laughs> portland might not be that crazy but <laughs> I made a portland joke, but I, yeah i'll refrain
2: yeah yeah totally anyway all that to say is it's a category breaker a god marrying a people group uh sticks out it ought to stick out and so what uh, the ten commandments are is they are one of the first steps of an invitation of god to start creating a counterculture to egypt and Babylon and the nations by re- taking a right ancient Near Eastern group of slaves and beginning to shape them into what he calls them a the kingdom of priests. Yeah. So the, that's the big picture context. All of these laws serve the purpose of God taking ancient Israelites, forming them as an ancient Near Eastern witness, a counter community in the ancient world, and. Um, that's just very helpful, at least for me, to see that this isn't about, um, their salvation as such is not at stake. That's not how the story works. They've actually already been saved. They were just saved, uh, mm. it it a story. And so it's to a saved people that God gives the gift of these laws as the terms of their marriage covenant so they can be priests to the nations. So I'll just begin there, but. Um, when I throw that out there, what are you guys thinking or processing?
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's helpful. Um, I, so maybe this is a bad cultural reference. I don't know why I kept thinking about pretty woman, uh, mm. be from the nineties. So there's this idea of this, uh, obviously there are not the same similarities there, but just this idea, I think it's helpful to t- turn the framework on its head yeah. where, the Israelites weren't doing this so necessarily so that God would save them. He's already shown them, I am saving you, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's called them to a higher purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's where some of the the pretty woman distinctions break down there. But I just kept thinking of that movie while you were talking about that. And I don't really remember much about that movie. (laughs) There is is a woman who works in not, super reputable practices and a, a very wealthy man basically says you could be called to a greater life. There's a lot of consumeristic stuff and financial stuff involved. Like, but there's this empowerment I think that you're supposed sure. to see her character yeah. through in that movie. Yeah. Um, sure. so in that thread, maybe there's a similarity yeah. here where God is saying like, you are my people. You are my bride. Um, show me as a light. Almost how Jesus repeats that in the New Testament. You know, a city on the hill. Mm-hmm. Don't you know, put a basket over my light. Sort of, uh, sort of idea. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Powerful. I love, um, yeah, I, I love the emphasis on like God saves them first and, and then invites them into kind of that, that sanctification or that growth and the life of his kingdom. And it's interesting, even as the beginning of the Ten Commandments, he reminds them that, you know, I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of slavery. Egypt, it seems like there's a um, framing of everything that's going to follow in the law as almost like a, a way to live in response to yeah. the the God who's revealed himself in his marriage, this covenant relationship Mm -hmm. with them. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really helpful. Yeah.
2: Yes. Okay. So let's, so let's take that first step. Then also take the next step, which is um, when it comes to the old Testament, things are way more interesting than they seem. Um, Mm -hmm. Because right in the, if I, if we were in a room together, I would draw a chart right now. Um, but right in the in the literary center of the covenant ceremony at Mount Sinai. So it's Exodus chapters 19. It's where they come to the mountain. God says, hey, let's get married. All you have to do is listen to my voice and keep my covenant and you'll be my kingdom of priests. And Israel says, yes, everything that you say we're going to do. You haven't even said it yet, but we're going to do it. Um, so then come the Ten, the Ten Commandments. Uh, after that, in the story sequence. Um, and G- actually, this is a little tidbit. They're actually never called the Ten Commandments in in mm-hmm. Bible. They're called the Ten Words. And he- oh, yeah. But it gets translated Ten Commandments, but it's the Ten Words. Anyway, um, mm-hmm. so then you get the Ten Commandments. And then right after that, you get a short little narrative about how the people, as God is addressing them from the mountain, they're freaking out. Terrified, and they say, (laughs) We don't want God to speak to us, Moses. You go up the mountain and Mm. speak with God because if God speaks to us, we're gonna die. Mm. And then Moses goes up the mountain, and then you get 42 more laws,
3: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) yeah.
2: Um, and then the end of that is they have this covenant ceremony. And there's a sacrifice and a reading of a scroll. And the people say, once again, everything Yahweh says we're going to do. So in other words, the the whole story is designed, the beginning and ending with like an invitation. Hey, let's get married. The people say, yes. First terms of the covenant. Something weird happens right in the middle of the ceremony. Mm -hmm. Some more terms of the covenant. And then the actual, they get married. It's as if you were just at a wedding where, um, right at the moment where some the, the, like the man and the woman are supposed to read their vows, like the guy starts shifting and looking like he doesn't want to be there.
3: <laughs> <You
2: know? laughs> and he like drops his stuff and he's like, Oh, I don't, you know, like it's weird. Yeah. Um, and w- what it is is that the people all of a sudden don't want intimacy with this God who's inviting them to get married. And that it's a little seed of a theme that's going to just unravel through the whole rest of the story. Basically, the rest of the story of the Torah can be summarized as the people completely violate everything they just said they were going to do. God is grieved. There's conflict. They have to work through it. And then what God keeps having to do is give more laws to the people the more they start to rebel um, and they've, I mean, they're just married.
3: <laughs> this is now like
2: Episode two is the story of the honeymoon and they're just constantly breaking the vows that they just made, you know, a few pages earlier. So, so there's two steps right there, but, um, I, to me, that's hugely significant. There's a lot of scholars who have pursued this, that the story is actually trying to tell you something about the human condition. <laughs> the why, one of the reasons why so many of these laws are in here isn't to tell us about how, in the Old Testament, you know, God related to us all differently. You had to obey the rules. It's actually the rules are a form of commentary on what's wrong with <laughs> that. Even wow. God tells us direct tells a group of people directly in fire and you know thunder what to do. They don't do it, and that's a very surprising thing for a narrative to say. I think.
1: Wow. So if I hear you right, I mean, it sounds like there's this since uh, you know God's primary purpose in bringing them to the mountain was not so much to give them loads and loads of rules and regulations. It was to give them Himself, yeah. like to invite them to this marriage covenant. Uh, but then the more they sort of back away from the altar, so to speak, or kind of mm-hmm. uh, betray the the vows, like the the more the laws start to increase, like every uh, you mentioned that, that first scene, and uh, I think shortly after the the famous scene of the golden calf, where it feels like they're breaking bound number one. You know, they're they're having well, another god. Know, the
2: first or- two. Like no idols and no other. Guys. And the first totally. narrative we're given after the, like that,
1: it's just, it's totally, crazy. which seems to me, it seemed to me almost like a, like a couple gets married and they go on their honeymoon and on their honeymoon, the guy steps out is I'm going to go down to seven 11 and get us some snacks and drinks, you know, and then comes back and finds her in bed with another yes. guy or so, you know Like That's, almost like the sense of you just got married. Like you just said the vows, entered the covenant. You're supposed to be, celebrating this new life together and right out of the gate, you know, um, the first one. And so if I, if I hear you right, it sounds like there's the, the, the increase of law for like like the kind of spiraling out of so many laws seems to be a response to Mm -hmm. the repeated rebellion. And it's almost like the further they rebel, the more they find themselves, um, Mm -hmm. spiraling into a, a sequence of, yeah. That's right. And you know, um, this, this point was
2: not lost on Jesus and the apostles. Um, if you read in Paul's letter to the Galatians in the New Testament, he, he, he says it straight up. He just says, why all of the laws? And he says they were added because of Israel's transgression. Um, and it's a, it's a narrative strategy that's trying to make a claim, both about how, one, it's a claim about God's patience, with people um but it's also a claim about um if humans are ever going to exist as god's eternal covenant partners something radical has to be transformed inside of us because some god just telling me what to do (laughs) and doesn't actually solve the problem uh if anything it just gets me in more trouble because i'm so self-deceived you know um So uh, it's a very powerful, man, once somebody helped me see that and that the Apostle Paul was seeing that and all of a sudden the author of these books, the argument being put forward by these books is not, dear reader, go obey all of these laws. Mm -hmm. Um, The argument of these books is, dear readers, if humans are ever going to be the true image of God, God's partners in the world, they have to be changed in a way that they will actually want to do God's will from the heart. That's actually what Mm. the narratives are trying to say. And that's what Ezekiel and Jeremiah reflect back. And that's actually their conclusion. (laughs) Um, So let's just stop. There's just two very different takeaways. You can see all these laws and think, oh man, I guess God wants me to obey the rules. That's my, that's the lesson here. Um, but that's not the lesson. <laughs> that's technically the opposite of what right. actually stories trying to communicate.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like it's so helpful because it, it even gives us a different um, kind of picture, a revelation of kind of the motive and heartbeat of, of God. You know, in the, in the one kind of the caricature or whatever, you have this picture of kind of a, a very distant far off god who's like all right i'm gonna give you a bunch of hoops to jump through and you know if you can climb high enough and do these things and impress me enough then then maybe i'll come be with you and everything you're saying feels like it flips that image on its head and is this is god coming after his people uh, redeeming them finding them himself wanting to enter into this marriage this union with them and they keep running and rebelling and he keeps pursuing that the, the laws is almost seem to in some ways be trying to set limits or boundaries on how far the destruction they're unleashing can go. Yeah. And yet it, people <laughs> even ignore those.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So that, that's really big picture, you know, um, when you're actually in the, you know, in the details of reading the actual laws, it's very easy to forget that bigger narrative context. Um,
3: mm.
2: but that narrative context is there for a reason. um, and the laws are, aren't all in one place; they're distributed and put at key moments of the plot development of the plot line. So that's really important. However, it doesn't solve every challenge that readers have when they read the laws. It's just yeah. it's one it's one way of getting at one part
1: of a, a solution. Well, that is a great segue into one of the next things I was hoping to talk about, uh, which is just, I think for a lot of us, you know, if we do kind of muster it up to, to read through the laws, um, we can come across many that can seem strange or barbaric or even apparently contradictory to us today. I'm thinking of uh, laws that can seem strange, like people often bring up like the, you know, not being allowed to wear clothes woven with two different kinds of fabric, like what was that all about, you know, or uh, barbaric, you know, sometimes the... Uh, the things referencing treatment of women or slaves um, can seem uh, man. Yes really difficult for us to grapple with today um or even contradictory you mentioned in uh, one of your guys podcasts i thought it was fascinating how you know like the, there are two different instructions in different places for how to prepare the passover lamb uh, that at first glance can be said oh these contradict each other uh, one says you're supposed to prepare it this way another says this way and i'm just curious maybe first off in the big picture and then maybe even with uh, some examples or details what advice or counsel would you give those of us who are maybe we're reading through and we come across a law that does seem maybe strange or barbaric or contradictory? What kind of tips or advice would you give us on how to approach um, laws like that?
2: Yes. Well, um, there, uh, there's not an easy answer.
3: <laughs> uh, and Most of the, 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 most, the
2: most responsible like approaches require work. <laughs> which isn't good for everybody. Good news for everybody. Uh but but at least if there's somebody working towards a solution, you can at least go listen to what they're saying. So, um I, here's a big thing that all of us have to reckon with, like um as 21st century westerners, um coming towards the Bible, we more, I feel like I wake up to this more every day, I impose upon the Bible my own biases prejudices cultural assumptions and what is offensive to many things in the bible is simply it it's just a culture gap (laughs) it's my inability to sympathize with another culture's way of viewing the world and so um you know god revealed himself in hebrew (laughs) And, and and not just you know hebrew was a language that changed over time so he met the israelites speaking a form of Hebrew, right? Uh, And these laws fit within the culture and context of ancient Near Eastern custom and law. Um, And they are, God's meeting these people precisely where they're at. And so as he reveals these laws and gives them to the people through Moses, he's not dropping like an alien judicial system on them out of the sky. he's dropping on them laws that fit precisely in their cultural setting and context. And that's actually, that response for me resolves the vast majority of those like knee jerk responses that I have. Um, because it's the same thing if I were to go visit another culture today, I hope my response at first wouldn't be like, oh, what primitive people, you know, they eat this way or they do this with their clothes or they treat people this way. You know, when Westerners go, especially to really traditional cultures that maybe have real uh, defined economic roles or, or the caste system or something like that, they immediately get in judgment mode. And that's just very presumptuous. Uh, yeah. first we need to gain a sympathetic understanding of this worldview of culture from the inside. So I could go on, but that's, I, it continues to surprise me about how blind I am to my own assumptions.
1: <laughs> wow. That's a really helpful image. Like the traveling cross-culturally, you know, like recognizing that we're, we're visiting a different time and place mm-hmm. uh, as we step into this. And yeah. it's a, uh, yeah, that's really helpful so, to treat, um, respect. Totally.
2: So ancient Israel, where God met them, right, they um, they were a, a, at first an immigrant, uh, tight-knit tribal communities, right? There are a dozen tribes. <laughs> um, they're going into a land. The laws are all designed to help shape their life as they go into a land, which is a hilly region of like hill country tribal farming federation of tribes <laughs> and, the, and the, the 613 laws oh we haven't talked about that they're 613 um the laws are actually really dialed in to the, that huh. particular cultural context and situation and so to me that was a huge learning because um it's easy to think about the laws as if they are God's ideal will for all people of all time dropped from heaven. Um, yeah. And that's just simply not the case. Um, <laughs> I, it's impossible for me to obey a lot of these laws. <laughs> yeah. I don't live yeah. in the hill country of Israel. <laughs> like I, you know what I mean? <laughs> it, I, <Yeah>. It's impossible. <laughs> like, uh, so uh, that's, a bit, that's a big part of it. Um, when it comes to the, the barbarity, you know, um, really, I, it's so funny. I've come to see this as hypocritical now. <laughs> all we're doing is being blind to our own culture's barbarity. <laughs> and highlighting yeah. what we see as the barbarity of another culture, you
3: know. Um,
2: so whether, you know, uh, the, the ones that really s- uh, used to bother me and still do to some degree is um, sla- slavery is just assumed, for example. Uh, in a number of these laws. However, if you pay closer attention and you begin to, this is kind of what's difficult, you begin to, you have to go find somebody else who's a nerd to do this. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to how slaves were treated in uh, the Canaanite cultures of their neighbors or in Babylon. What you'll find is that the laws given to Israel are really taking a forward step in terms of elevating the role of your average israelite even who is enslaved so you got an israelite who um uh can't support like his crop turns out bad and you can't um you have to sell his farm or in their culture they have to like begin selling your kids or sell yourself into slavery and so that's it in most ancient cultures like you're in debt a debt slave now um but the Exodus story was so formative for the identity of the people. They're a, a people of liberated slaves. And so every seven years, God institutes, right, this uh, thing called the year of release. And it's, it's like their whole economic system every seven years and then every seven times seven years in the Jubilee gets restarted. It's like they go through the Exodus all over again.
3: All slaves
2: are released. All debts to um for reason of which you lost land get canceled and you get back your original land again and everybody is put on the same social economic level it's like i mean this is radical most human cultures since then have not done anything like this you know (laughs) um so i think we have to be really careful before we start calling one culture barbaric just because we don't understand how it works you know um so there are so many examples related to women or children or slaves um, that we could focus on. But that's, a, that's a, at least a couple examples. Mm. There, things are always more complex than they seem when we're reading these laws. And I should probably make my base assumption that I just don't understand the context enough to make a judgment
1: yet. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. I love just the starting point of recognizing this is a different culture, different time and place. Even not just for Israel, but the ancient Near East as a whole. And uh, it it takes time and work to learn a culture and to be respectful and uh, withhold judgment before uh, the process of seeking to understand. You know, and and when you do, like, like you said, I think one of the things that's really been helpful and struck me over the years is, as an example, yeah, when you compare. Uh, Israel's laws on, on some of these areas, say like, like slavery, for example, uh, in c- comparison relative to the other norms around it, it really feels like it was revolutionary. Like God yeah. was setting his people on a trajectory that was um, really transformative. And in, in some ways, even many of the, I mean, this is maybe a bigger claim than, you know, just Exodus, but it seems many would even argue that many of the things we take, for granted today, things like human rights and things like um, some, of the, yes,
3: yeah, yeah.
1: some of the things that we take for granted today is just being oh the way things are that really on the historical scene, they are um, not normal and, and seem to be in many ways contributions that um, Judaism, the, the Jewish and Christian faiths have contributed to kind of the shaping of the world. Many yeah,
2: ways. man, you know, yeah, just on that Point real quick. Um, there's two um, Israeli scholars who have been really influential and helpful for me. One's named Joshua Berman. Um, another is Jeremiah Unterman. Um, but they're they're trying to wake up, yeah, Westerners, especially Western non-Jewish audiences, which is the majority, <laughs> right? uh, okay. and to say the entire heritage of what we call human rights is generated out of the Book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> Um, the concept of God entering a covenant relationship with every single Israelite. Um, And remember what I said earlier in the ancient world, covenants are made between Kings and Kings. Um, But the way that this covenant works with the God of Israel is God of Israel is King. And he enters into a relationship. It's it's like a, a flat social structure with every Israelite. And there isn't, kings are not elevated, priests are not elevated. The whole Israelite population as individuals are obligated in this marriage covenant.
3: It's mm-hmm.
2: as if every one of them reflects the image of God. <laughs> wow. um, and so just right there, every Israelite was obligated to be faithful to this covenant is already a, a huge elevation of the, the, what we would call the peasant or the commoner. Um, does that make any sense? It's relating each of them directly to the
0: top. Uh, yes, and I think that I'm really, I really appreciate that you pointed that out. I remember in one of my nerdy seminary classes, one of the Old Testament classes, we looked at. Uh, i am probably saying his name wrong. Asher Benipal, one of yes, the yes. ancient Near Eastern, you know. So I think, regardless of the nerdy ancient Near East texts that you could go read, if you know, if you're in our congregation, you're you're listening to this, we could we could get to those. But the important point is that is, is, was really encouraging to me is finding some of these things out that literally what you said, Tim, the, the, the similar, even like language patterns were between ancient near Eastern Kings to each other. And it was usually the one that had more power that was saying, this is what I expect of you, um, to do. And, and it was, uh, even sometimes more just a threat sort of thing where God, again, turns it completely on its head. And and I had never really even, I'd never heard of that before. And I thought that that was fascinating. And I think sometimes people can look down without fully understanding the full picture and be like, well, yeah, I mean, the Israelites were just copying other cultures. Well, it's a little bit more complex than that and you have to ask why were they doing that what was god through his through through moses through the other writers what was he doing to show the israelites and the other the rest of the world uh, what was going on in mimicking some of those languages they'd be familiar with mm-hmm.
1: yeah this image in my head of uh like of someone standing like on top of a platform or so with kind of steps leading up to it and it's almost like attacking Or trying to tear apart some of the steps on the way to where they're standing kind of thing, you know, (laughs) and like, like it feels like it can be looking back at times we can kind of go, Oh, how could this have done? But then when you see it in context, it's like, no, that was actually some of the steps Mm -hmm. that helped bring about some of the things that we can take for granted that we're kind of Mm -hmm. standing on some of the foundation that we're standing on today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, that's exactly right. So that's, that's just some, you know, uh, of the laws, a lot of the laws, for example, are all about ritual calendars. Just all these like feasts and festivals that throws a lot of people off. Oh, but man, it's the coolest stuff in the world.
3: It's all <laughs> it's
2: all about how the Sabbath. If the Sabbath is like the the think of like the most basic Lego block, you know, the two by four Lego block or something like that. This, the seven day cycle of uh, days of working leading up to a day of rest. An enjoyment of God's good world in his presence. Just that storyline right there. Genesis one, right? God bringing order, working, and then rest and fulfillment. That story because sets out a pattern then that Israel is retelling in all of these different feasts and festivals. And what it is, it's a preview. It's a packed preview of the whole biblical storyline, right, of, of a whole journey from chaos and darkness through, right, through the dry land uh, to create a garden so that God can rule the world with his people forever and ever. Amen. On the seventh day, <clears> to <throat> which there is no end. Because there is no end <clears throat> of the seventh day in Genesis 1. And so all, all of a sudden, yeah. all of these calendar details, and there's a lot. But dude, they're wow. all just variations of the whole biblical, story. they're anticipations. Um there are ways that you celebrate the coming of the ultimate Eden and the ultimate Sabbath in and it's woven into their calendar. Um, wow. And so especially for secularized moderns, we live by this these weird calendars that are like uh, I don't know, they stand out in terms of human history. We're the most like unordered culture. Are we kind <laughs> so bizarre compared to most of human
3: history?
2: And and Dude, the Israelites knew what they were doing. Dude, God knew what he was doing. Uh, I mean, that transforms the whole thing about sacrifices. We could talk about that, Mm -hmm. but all of that is about these. It's about ascending to the place where heaven and earth are one. That's what sacrifices are about, and and so uh, because humans keep uh, introducing death and chaos into God's world, what they do is they get these pure. Substitutes who can ascend up to where heaven and earth unite on my behalf and make an appeal towards God. And God accepts that appeal uh, by, by the substitute on my behalf. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's the basic point for which all of the sacrifices are little variations on that thing. And that's how the laws work. There's really just a few topics that work in all of the hundreds of laws about calendar or sacrifice or holiness. Um, or civil relations, and they actually all boil down to really beautiful ideals about how God wants to rule the world in a united heaven and earth with his people. But those ideals have to be fleshed out in a given cultural circumstance. You can't just drop an ideal on people. <laughs> you can, cannot. but you also, what, God, what the laws are, God applying these ideals into an ancient Near Eastern people group. And that's actually, it's in their particular context of the ancient Near East that I think actually helps us begin to see how we could begin to gain some wisdom from, from them.
3: Because mm-hmm.
2: that's what they are. They're, they're a type of divine wisdom applied to human
1: history. Wow. Wow. That is so good and so helpful. I feel like it's given so many categories for just how to understand what's happening in the law, how to approach it. Um, maybe one final question here, Tim. I, I'm curious when we kind of zoom out the big picture, you guys did a, a recent podcast series. I think it was six or seven episodes or something, but it was on on the law. And, and a big theme in that, you talked about um, some of the differences between ancient and modern law. Uh, I, I know we probably don't have time to get too mm-hmm. thick in the weeds, all that you know, like yeah. I'd encourage listeners to go check out again. I think it's six or seven episodes really worth um listening to the whole thing. But I'm curious if you might even be able to just kind of give us a, a, a teaser a sound soundbite, yeah. sort of a, a piece on uh, today. You know, we can go to legal libraries and read through books and books with legal codes, uh, trying to cover every possible circumstance situation, and um, just on the 50,000 foot level, you uh. Could you speak to maybe some of the differences between the ways we tend to approach law today and the way ancient people, people in the ancient Near East, did? That could be helpful for us as one.
2: Yeah, man. Uh, Yeah, I learned so much about this in the last in the last couple years, Um, and uh, it's yeah, it's hard to boil down because it's another culture gap issue. But it's essentially the way modern, most modern Western democracies conceive of law is we actually have written law codes that have been formed by these, you know, these official authoritative groups of people, you know, the Supreme Court or something like that. And it's actually the written law codes are the source and form of authority. So that lawyers, um, when they're trying cases that are, you know, in the details or whatever of a given court case, what they go to is the law as written right, in you know, like the official archives or something like that. So that's how, we, that's how our culture conceives of law. Um, that's not how most cultures have conceived of law for most of human history. Um, for most of human history, law was what scholars call a common law tradition, which meant um, the, the, the the ultimate authority of law was not a written code as such, it was the agreed-upon ethical value set of the culture. And when people wrote laws down, it was a source of wisdom and guidance for future generations to see how those ideals were applied in past situations. But that doesn't mean that it has to be applied identically in, in a present moment or in the future. And that's why um, the same culture, like ancient Babylon, if you read their different law codes from different times of history, they're wildly different <laughs> uh, standards in detail. Um, the most famous law code from the ancient world is called the the code of Hammurabi.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: As, you know, go read it online, Google it. It's really actually interesting. It's the most copied and recopied ancient law text in in the ancient world. And in the culture of Babylon, in the actual law court, like, you know, there's archaeology nerds who dig up ancient law codes or like court cases and stuff like this. In all of the ancient court cases found in texts from ancient Babylon, and there's thousands of them, never once is the Code of Hammurabi cited.
3: <laughs> wow. <laughs> and when decisions
2: are made about the same topics that the Code of Hammurabi um, addresses, they they don't apply the same details of like. Of the Code of Hammurabi, what wow. that tells us is that the Code of Hammurabi was like an educational text, so it was a text sure. or it was a text that displayed the wisdom of this king at that moment in time. But the goal of the laws, when they were collected, was to shape a people according to a set of ideals, so that that people will know how to apply those ideals in future circumstances. Anyway, I I don't. I don't know if that was succinct or too long, but that was a huge paradigm shift for me, and it really helped me understand why. Why it is that when you read the Book of Proverbs, um, when the Proverbs open, you get the dad saying, "Hey, my son, listen to my Torah, listen to my law. Don't forget the law of your mother. Um, You like mothers and fathers get laws like this, but in their culture." It's where do you learn, and in what context do you learn the laws of the Torah? In your Mm -hmm. home, that's where you recite the scriptural story of the Torah day and night, and you raise your kids in the story. And so, Mm -hmm. the the laws were viewed as wisdom literature, even within the Bible itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And and which means that they can be a continuing source of wisdom for God's people today.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that that's so helpful. I mean, it feels like it, it it frames the law as an invitation to wisdom, like that it's, it's not just um, yeah. hey, the right behaviors. So you can keep God happy. It's actually God inviting us into even seeking to reflect on the law, to discern the wisdom behind it, to get to know the God and his character who gave it, you know, behind yeah. it and, uh, of the second Timothy three, that all scripture is profitable for instruction and righteousness. Like i going that there is, even if it's not, even if these laws uh, are not things that I'm necessarily intended to carry out today in the same way with all of them, like they're, that they are profitable for learning wisdom and getting to know better the God of wisdom. And, and that's maybe a, a, a good transition, just kind of a final, maybe not so much a question as maybe a closing reflection mm. on um, Man, you've you spent a lot of time studying the law, reflecting on the law, and uh, within the context of scripture as a whole. Uh, just if you have any kind of final closing thoughts on how we can view the law as something encouraging and edifying for us today.
2: Um, yeah, you know, I, this this is not going to sound novel at all. Um, but I think, this uh, is, you know, uh, go read the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs>
3: uh, <yeah. laughs> and he has that whole
2: section where he says listen i i did not come to say god is all love and grace he used to be all about rules but i say god's about love and grace and so follow me um what he says is i i came to fulfill the law and the prophets Um, and he's Mm -hmm. talking about the storyline that we mentioned earlier so god um has had continually failed covenant partners and Um, what Jesus came was to be the faithful Israelite covenant partner on behalf of Israel and on behalf of all humanity Uh, to -hmm. be that covenant partner who lives by God's ideal will. right with every breathing moment for us us, on our behalf. So when Mm -hmm. he begins to talk about the laws of the Torah after that, he says, listen, you know, there's this command, don't murder. (laughs) He's like, you see what God's really after here. And he, Famously, right. he addresses the the distortion of the human heart, how we actually dehumanize and show contempt for other humans in our language and in our thoughts about them, and that that's really what the law is trying to address.
3: But Jesus
2: says, "I'm here to work on that said of the issue." So he does it six times, six quotes from the Torah, and six times he does it, and so. Really, I I think it's letting Jesus' way of understanding the laws be our guide. He viewed the laws as a pointer to some deeper issue in the human condition that God's trying to transform or address. And the surface of the law is just an invitation to wisdom reflection on the deeper issue. Mm -hmm. And then then, then the last step is just, and that's what Jesus says he's here to do and do on our behalf. That's why he sends is to begin to change uh, us so that we can finally become the covenant partners who live by God's will. And so the laws, I think, have immense relevance still for us today, mm-hmm. but not in the way that you might have first imagined. Um, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're wisdom literature for the community of Jesus' followers who live by the spirit. That's how Jesus the mm-hmm. apostles would talk about it.
1: Wow. Uh, so, if I hear you right, I love. It. it sounds like there's there's an in the law. There's an invitation to wisdom and discerning the giving of the wisdom of God. It sounds like there is a, uh, a an invitation to an awareness of and reflection on uh, the condition of our own heart and some of the ways that it might reveal uh, issues within us, corruption or problems within us. And then perhaps most importantly, the third thing I hear you say that's it's just so powerful is that the law. Uh, it becomes, in, in in the end, an invitation to Jesus Himself as the fulfillment of the law, like recognizing the glory and the greatness and the goodness of who Christ yeah. is.
2: Yeah, and and not fulfillment in the sense of oh, good, we're over with that part of like the rules yeah. and the laws, but it's Jesus mm-hmm. actually saw the laws as beautiful and pointing mm-hmm. to something much, much more deep about about us, about human cultures and. The human condition and that that's what he was there to address that's awesome man that's so you know yeah. that's so beautiful and it's all yeah. it's hard yeah. to keep all this in mind when you're in law number 375
3: you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. like you know for if you
2: see some your enemy's donkey wandering and on the road <laughs> but it really does help if you kind of put these perspectives to work they can really help I think the laws Uh, become alive and speak to us in a way that maybe is brand new to a lot of us.
0: That's awesome. Uh, man. And I'm just my, I'm already chewing on, on just this conversation. There's a lot of really, really good stuff here. Um, I really appreciate you, Tim, taking the time out today, Josh, thanks for, Co hosting with me. Of um, before we go, Tim, would you mind uh, if people are listening and they don't know um, where they can get more of your stuff, how they can support what you guys are doing? Could you give us a, a couple quick, easy ways to, to keep uh, tabs on, on yeah, you guys?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, uh, the simplest thing is just to Google the Bible Project um, or the thebibleproject.com. Uh, we're a nonprofit animation studio making vi- videos uh, about this kind of stuff how to read the Bible themes in the Bible. Um, we also have a podcast. Yeah. Where every video represents hours and hours of, uh, conversation about these things in more detail. So that's just the Bible project podcast and, uh, that's a good place to start, but uh, yeah, Yeah. there you go.
0: Yeah, and if, if you're listening to this podcast uh, as a regular listener of your guys's podcast, I can confirm you guys uh, you guys go really in depth on a lot of really really good stuff. So I would highly encourage if you're already listening to this podcast, then definitely start listening yeah, to the Gospel Project. Uh, listening
2: thus you know. far, you, you have a part of your genetic sequence that can be labeled nerd. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's true. And I do, I do feel like I'm with my with fellow nerds listening to you guys talk on the Bible Project podcast, especially too, because um, you guys go really in depth, and it's great. And yeah, so we really again appreciate you taking the time out today. Thanks for being on our uh, podcast, and uh, definitely check out the Bible Project uh, and all that they do. So thanks a lot, Tim,
1: Josh. Yeah, thank you, thank you so much, Tim. Grateful for you, man.
0: And uh, for those listening, we will see you guys next week.
1: Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Redemption is one church in nine local congregations across the state of Arizona. Our vision at Redemption Tempe is to create disciples of Jesus who seek the reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services at 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. each week. You can learn more about us and how to get plugged into the life of our church by downloading our phone app called Redemption Church Tempe, or on our website at tempe.redemptionaz.com. And lastly, we would love to hear from you. Please send any questions or feedback you might have about this podcast or our church by emailing tempe at redemptionaz.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week.